Muslims, Christians, and, and the, the zombie. zombie apocalypse. Muslims, Christians, and the zombie apocalypse. And they have zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to set the stage here for this week's show. And the way to do that is really to talk about the context and the time frame for which Mark Siljander is, uh, becomes a congressman. Right. We we're, we're really need to deal with 1979 to 1981. 1981 is when he, is, uh, he wins the election and then is sworn in as a congressman. Right. Think about 1979. This is the time at which you have all of these terms going around. The Soviet Union is being coined as the evil empire. Uh, that's by the United States. I believe it was Reagan. Yes. And then you have uh, Iran calling America the great Satan. Shatan. Yeah, so you have all of these names going on. But what, really what you have is a very uh, volatile time mm. in world history with America right at the beginning, right, right at the center of all of this stuff going on. So he comes into politics at a crucial point. The media coined him as the biggest Jesus freak. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest Jesus freak that Washington had and, like, ever seen or something. And, and that wasn't like a compliment, right? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, because now, you know, like, you know, um, back in the day, DC Talk wrote that song, Jesus Freak. And everyone's like, oh, it's cool to be a Jesus freak. But back then, to be called a Jesus freak probably was not positive. Right. And if you imagine that at that point in time in political history, you really, this is the beginnings of what eventually becomes the moral majority. Yes. Uh, the beginnings of sort of the neoconservative movement within Republican politics. And Mark Siljander's right there at the beginnings of it. I was part with Newt Gingrich and the whole group to take over the House of Representatives for the Republicans. I helped write the plan in the 80s, they implemented it in the 90s, and they were successful. Well, we felt politics was the answer to the ills of America and the world. That if just the Republican Christians would gain power, when we have the reins, things would surely change. Right as he comes in to office, he's immediately approached by evangelical leaders to uh, begin making trips to Israel. Yeah. And so right there in the very beginnings of his political career, he starts making trips to Israel. He uh, eventually gets on the uh, subcommittee for Africa and the Middle East. Um, he has a, a lot of influence right off the bat. And I think a lot of his influence is happening overseas, like I said, in the Middle East and in Africa. Mm. And there's something else that's going on, right? Uh, in his heart, he just starts to be confronted with stuff. I think he is struggling with idealism and reality. Yeah. That's kind of the way that I heard it. Um, he has this idea that being a Christian and being in politics, that he's going to be able to meld these two together comfortably. But when he gets to Washington and he starts encountering some of uh, the problems and uh, some of the solutions that come about, he recognizes some of this stuff is not reconcilable, at least in his mind, with his Christian faith. As a poster boy for the Christians in the U.S. Congress, that much of what we were doing ran in conflict with the scriptural admonitions to love our enemies and to do good to those who persecute you and to bless them and pray for them, we were doing just the opposite with their enemies and those who persecuted us. So I found politics to be, and uh, my involvement in politics, were running in contradiction to the teachings of Jesus. No, 
Why didn't I know that years before having been a believer in my, since my early 20s? We were so inculcated in culture, so brainwashed in some level with Western Christian culture that we just assumed it was consistent with the Bible. Much of it is, but there are certain aspects that are not, such as hating your enemy and keeping a record of wrong. And I just kind of feel like it's it's a it's kind of a tough uh, tough sell to say that you know as a Christian um, you can be unsullied you know by our political system. Yeah, know? and I think the bigger problem for him becomes that he has to start defending a kind of Jesus that he doesn't find in the Scripture. <laughs> yeah, and so he he uses the term apologizing, what he's really talking for is developing an apologetic or a defense for a Jesus that doesn't fit with what he reads in Scripture and what he feels is the accurate Jesus of the Bible. And that doesn't meld well for a politician. We were apologizing not for a biblical Jesus, but for some warlike Jesus who got even with their enemies, sent arms to anyone that would fight against communist regimes, or propped up despot regimes that were anti-communist fighting the rebels because in the 80s, communism was the enemy. And the goal was to defeat communism by any Machiavellian means, any whatsoever. And when you claim to be the big Christian and speak on the Christian TV stations and Christian conventions about how Jesus is love, and then you go sending arms to kill. Uh, what I really like about this story so far is that it shows this journey that's kind of going on in uh, in Mark Siljander's heart. Um, he's, of course, you know, starting with this politics thing, being conflicted uh, about being a Christian and politics. But then there's more, right? Um, something, some event actually happens that we alluded to last podcast, right? This uh, it really comes to a head with the the national prayer breakfast that's hosted by Congress. But I have to give the context and the background to this prayer breakfast. I mentioned earlier how uh, Siljander was sitting on the uh, subcommittee for the Mideast. He had just, in you know, six months prior, had been to Beirut, Lebanon. And that was when, in 1983, you have what's known as the, the Beirut barrack bombings. The gruesome search for bodies continued today. Rescue workers did, in fact, find more bodies. And with each discovery, the task became more painful. The official toll now tops 160 dead and more than 180 wounded, not counting one body that was pulled from the debris while News 4 was on the scene this afternoon. Rescue crews work quickly today, clearing tons of rubble, but much remains to be done. Marine officials expect to find even more bodies, and they have all but given up hope of finding anyone else alive. News 4 has confirmed the names of five Wisconsin Marines who were not... And that's when, I think it's 241 Americans are killed uh, by Muslim extremists. And so the the barracks are bombed. This is the largest loss of American Marine uh, life since, of the Marine Corps life since uh, the Second World War in a single day. Right. And this is a horrible tragedy. It's fresh on his mind. And he's thinking to himself man, these, you know, wicked, evil Muslims. And when he goes to the national prayer breakfast, it's not Billy Graham speaking. It's not an evangelical leader speaking. It is a Muslim, and they're speaking, and they're actually 
using the Quran at the prayer breakfast. When the Quran was read at the National Prayer Breakfast many years ago by the Saudi ambassador, yours truly protested and sent a letter off to the titular head of the National Prayer Breakfast who visited me on Capitol Hill and said, now, what's your problem with Islam? I told him, well, they're of the devil. And we let the book of the devil be read at the prayer breakfast. So he asked, well, what is your strategy for Muslims? I said, well, we have to convert them to Christianity. That's what the Bible says. He said, does it? I said, well, of course. I've been taught that for 25 years. I said, are you sure? And I said, yes, I'm sure. So, well, can you quote one verse where it says we need to convert anyone to Christianity? I sat and pondered the matter and was humiliated because I could not think of a single verse. I thought, well, we have to go out in the world and make disciples. He said, well, that's not converting people to Christianity. That's making disciples. I said, well, I'll get back to you. He said, hey, one more question. Have you ever read the Quran that you're saying is of the devil? And, of course, I was further humiliated and embarrassed because I had not read the Quran, not one word of it, hardly the title. And uh, he said, do you fancy yourself as a smart, intellectual congressman, but yet you're criticizing something you've never read. So I kind of politely threw him out of my office. (laughs) All right, so this show wouldn't be possible without sponsors. And at this point in the show is where, if you want to partner with us, we would put your ad. So if you want to be a part of the show, you You want to partner with us. You like what we're doing. You want to be on our team, what have you. Bring this show to the world. Then email us and let us know. What ends up happening later that year is uh, Siljander's up for election. In 1986, he was feeling pretty confident about his chances of winning this thing. Up until this point, he had won something like 14 straight elections from the time that he had gotten into politics. So it sounds like he's never lost before. Right. And he was, uh, in his mind, expected to win, that the polls were showing him far, far ahead. The way the story goes is that he's not elected because of something that he did in his uh, campaign regarding this tape that he recorded. We'll get into that in a second. The way (laughs) he sees it is he was targeted because of his work with Muslims. Because at that point in time, he had started interacting with Palestinians and Jews and Israel and, and felt like there had to be a different strategy in order to bring peace in the Middle East. I began meeting not only with the... Israeli leadership, but also the Palestinian leadership, and started feeling we need to, in order to protect Israel, we need to really love uh, the Muslims and the Arabs. So in Siljander's mind, he, he sees loving the Palestinians as a way of also loving the Jews. Which isn't normally the way people think. Yeah, but he has, <laughs> he has this idea. He thinks that uh, the only way for survival of the Muslim, Christian, and Jewish, you know, communities is if they start following the principles and the teachings of Jesus. Muslims and Christians and Jews can only survive ultimately if we begin following the teachings, the dynamic and powerful, reconciling, transforming teachings of Jesus. Yeah, so how, I don't even know what that looks like. Does that mean that they are all becoming Christians? Well, so that's going to be the third episode where we really hear maybe even the fourth episode, we'll see, where we hear sort of how that works out because this is a little bit bizarre of an idea at first glance. A little bit. So 
we really need to wrap this show up by saying Mark Siljander does not win his re-election in 1986. He loses. What he walked into with thorough confidence ends up crashing, and he loses the election. He loses his seat in Congress, and it all comes down to this one tape. Well, I thought, and in my book, A Deadly Misunderstanding, it points out that I lost the fourth-term Republican primary because making of making a tape recording to pastors talking to them about the spiritual war we need to pray and fast and that we need to break the back of satan in this election because of the confusions swirling around certain quarters when i read that i didn't like it i didn't write it didn't like it and there i refused to record it on my desk in my office back then you could do these kind of recordings in your office. You can't do that now. And then there was a vote, so I'd leave my office, go to the house floor and vote and come back. My chief of staff rushed in the office. You have to make this recording. Please hurry. I I just couldn't do it. So finally, after three or four votes, we had to get it off, printed, duplicated, shipped, and in the hands of pastors a week before the Sunday, before the Tuesday election. That was the idea. So finally, I just read it and said, well, I'm invulnerable. I have 72% in the polls. This will be fine. So it went out. And, of course, my opponent said that I'm, who else is Satan in the election but him? He's my only opponent. So therefore, I'm calling him Satan, which is I wasn't. But I could see how people could think that, honestly. <laughs> it was a stupid statement. And the instinct, the spiritual instinct is saying, don't do it. But, you know, I overrode the spirit and was I paid the price. All right, that is absolutely insane. I don't think I've ever heard anybody lose an election because they recorded a tape calling uh, on pastors to pray, you know, that they would break the back of Satan, which, okay, yeah, that phrasing, a little bit bizarre. but uh, A little bit But to, uh, but to lose, and especially if he thought his points were as high as he thought they were. Well, I mean, if you think about it, by the time this is all happening, what does the media pick up on? According to him, there's immediately uh, newspapers coming out with the headlines that say things like, Siljander calls opponents Satan. Yeah. Uh, Siljander gone <laughs> over the edge. Siljander calls for prayer and fasting for himself. So they make him <laughs> out to be, you know, like this apocalyptic preacher guy. Well, and, and, and the other thing that I was wondering is like, who, who ratted on him? <laughs> What do you mean? Oh, which, which, pastor, which pastor? Yeah, which pastor said, "Hey, this guy's crazy. You know, you need to publish this." I don't know. That's a good question. How do the media even get a hold of this? Dude? Yeah. Well, there's another bit of a twist, though. We have to wrap this up, but before we do, uh, Siljander has a new book coming out, and uh, he has since learned something a bit unsettling. Um, in his mind, he's not so sure as to whether or not it was the tape that actually had him lose the election. He's kind of wondering if it wasn't rigged and if he wasn't targeted by his own people because of a, a confession that he heard from one of his staffers um, later. I was on the, with my best friend since seven years old who was on my staff in Congress and was on his deathbed. And he started crying, I have to confess something before I die. I received a call from the White House through a UPI reporter that if you don't call, you, Mark Siljander, if you don't call the White House within 72 hours and tell him you're going to recant your behavior of talking with Arabs and Muslims, that if I don't recant immediately, I'm going to lose my next primary and they're going to arrange it. Basically, I was thrown out of office. 
by my own people. They said I was becoming too, too different. All right, so obviously Howard and I have no idea and have no real position as to whether or not elections are fixed. This is not our forte. Know. This is not our forte. <laughs> so, you know, granted, we can see how he did lose his job and it would be definitely related to the South Africa incident and possibly even his relationship with Israelis and Palestinians um, in the tape is certainly condemning. As far as whether or not um, this election was rigged, whether or not he wouldn't clean up his act, I don't know how you would ever know if that's... Uh, if that's accurate, but Mark Mark fully believes that that's what happened. Yeah, he said it confidently. So uh, going forward, he's kind of you know this is all happening in 1986. You know, I'm I'm a wee lad at that point. Howard's a little bit bigger of a lad uh, than I, I am. At I was that nine. Point. I was nine. So <laughs> we obviously don't have a clue as to what was really going on in those moments. Mark has a clue, and everybody else that was working with him has a clue. But we're we're just trying to tell his story. Yeah. But as he looks back at his political career, and he looks at it in comparison with his faith, it's it's a little bit discouraging in seeing how politics and his faith. Um, they really didn't work well together, at least in Congress. I met with the second leader, I won't mention his name on the podcast, who's now retired. And he's a Christian. So now, I just met with him not too many months ago. So now you're a Christian. We plotted and planned together. You took over. He had the House, most of the Senate, and a Christian president. What is the legacy when you, we, you, us, finally took over, what is the legacy? You had it all. The power, the votes. And finally, he said, we don't have one. When our people had the reins, we, had, we really did essentially nothing different than the Democrats or the Liberals. We have tried every political, manipulative, self-interest maneuver that one can think of. Will you sit there and tell me that the Congress is running efficiently and you're proud of them? I don't know hardly any Americans that think that. It's a miserable failure. So even though Mark loses his seat in Congress, it's not the end for him because he's actually appointed as a uh, as part of the UN and he works a lot as a foreign diplomat. Uh, yeah, and in the UN he gets to travel all over the world and he gets to meet with some pretty interesting people. And I think the best part about his story of working with the UN is he starts to implement some of the things that he couldn't implement while he's in Congress. Yeah, he's freed and up. It gets mind-blowing like you're saying you did what you met with who and you said what and that ended up with what the whole time i'm sitting there listening to his interview going this is mind-blowing but it does cause him some problems in the end right his work with muslims all across the world doesn't really fit with what he sees the american foreign policy in the direction that it's heading Here's a clip from next week's podcast. Okay, when the Soviet Empire collapsed and the wall came down between the two cities in Berlin and it was unified, we needed a new enemy 
as our excuse to build and continue to build the industrial military complex and expand our national security apparatus. And Islam fit the bill.